This is my story. This is my song. These are the stories sitting in the seats. And maybe you've got a story to share. I had someone come up to me right after first service and uh, share with me a story that uh, you'll probably hear uh, coming up soon sometime. And um, it's exciting to hear what the Lord has done and is doing in people's lives. Amen. All right, we're in 1 John. So if you have your Bible, please turn to 1 John. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair rack very close to you, either under your chair or a chair right near you. And if you use a chair rack Bible, it should be about page 1021 is the book of 1 John. We're continuing in our series, Walking with Jesus in a Stormy World. I had an umbrella here for a service, but I don't know where it went. So, um, but uh, we use this, uh, this um, uh, image of the umbrella that is over us as we walk in the stormy world uh, that we're doing this. Uh, and 1 John, John is writing to some people that are facing some storms in the first century. And his words to them are helpful to us as well. There's a expression I've heard, I've actually said at times uh, that golfers sometimes use. Uh, and that is, it never rains on the golf course. And the idea is this, that, you know, I mean, being out on the golf course, where would you rather be? So the rain doesn't bother you, right? It goes along with the expression that, uh, you know, a bad day on the course is better than a good day at work. And so you kind of just, hey, you don't even, it doesn't, never rains on the golf course. The reality is, though, that I've been out on the golf course, and sometimes you have days like this out on the golf course where I was sitting in a cart and Pastor Brian was out there with the umbrella. Uh, uh, I think that was last year. We were out playing someplace. And the reality is that it actually does rain on the golf course at times. In fact, every golf bag I've ever owned always has a slot in it to hold the umbrella. Because the reality is sometimes you may be out golfing and it's going to rain on you. And the truth is it never helps to deny reality. I mean, you can say it's a fun expression, it never rains on the golf course, but the reality is it does rain, and you probably ought to be ready in case it does. It doesn't help to deny reality in those situations. Uh, I think also reminds me of many of you have had the experience of buying a house, and when you buy a house, at least when you used to buy a house, you used to have a home inspection. Uh, nowadays, houses are on the market so quick, you have to like wave that contingency often before you even buy a house in order to get, get a chance of putting an offer in. But it, when Wendy and I bought our first house 20 years ago, we definitely had a home inspection. And what's a home inspection do? Well, the home inspector comes through and looks for things that you might not normally see, right? Uh, you walk into a house or I walk into a house and we might say, wow, I love the paint color of the walls. I love the granite countertops. You know, I like the, I like the um, uh, you know, the, the, the way they laid out the rooms. But a home inspector comes in and they're not just looking at the countertops and the paint on the walls. A home inspector comes in and they turn on their flashlight and they look at things that you might not normally see. They climb up in that attic you know, on that hot day, you didn't want to go up there. They climb up there and they shine their flashlight and say, look, there's a bird's nest over there. 
or look at these rafters, they don't have the right pitch for the snow load for this part of the country, or they shine their light in the foundation and they say, look at these, you know, that crack, you don't have to worry about that crack you might want to be concerned about. And you want to know these things because to deny the reality would not be helpful. Uh, To deny that reality would actually cause problems down the road. And just like we need to shine the light onto parts of our house that we might not see, we often need to shine light into parts of our lives that we might not see. Uh, in John, 1 John chapter 1, he says these words, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. I want to talk for a few minutes about the people that John was writing to and what their issue was. These early Christians were facing some storms. They were facing external storms, persecution and oppression, just trying to live out following God in the midst of a culture that wasn't. You and I can probably relate to a bit of that. They were also facing, though, internal storms. Storms within the church. Where there were people who were calling themselves followers of Jesus, but were denying some pretty core and basic realities about Jesus and about God. Uh, Just like a golfer might be on the golf course and deny that it's raining and it doesn't make a difference, it's still, you're still getting wet. (laughs) These people were coming into the church and they were denying some basic things about God and John's going to tell them, look, you can't deny these things. It's going to cause you problems if you start denying basic truths about who God is. And so this morning, I want to look at, in 1 John, three things he he addresses that people in the church were trying to deny about God, and John corrects them on this. And under the topic of this light and darkness, I would say this, that John would say, look, if you affirm, (laughs) this is going to sound strange, if you affirm what they're denying, you're walking in darkness, And when you're walking with the God who is light, you can't walk in darkness. And so we're going to look at 1 John and look at three things that we have to be careful that we're not denying. Because they were denying them in their day, but I'll be honest with you, I see them creeping into our day too. And so I want us to be aware of them. So let's jump back in. 1 John chapter 1, I read verse 5. Let's pick up uh, in a second in verse 6. Here's the first thing though. The first one is this. If you deny that sin has an impact on your relationship with God, you're walking in darkness and not light. If you deny that sin has an impact on your relationship with God, you're walking in darkness and not light. And you might say, well, it's obvious. Of course, sin is going to have an impact on your relationship with God. Well, let's just take a look at God's word. And and, and maybe it's not as obvious as we think, because I think it's present oftentimes in our world more than we might like to admit. Verse 6 says this, If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. 
And then verse 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here's what John's saying. There are people who are living in John's day who are saying, look, I believe in God. I even believe in Jesus. I believe in the cross. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. But they were saying it really doesn't have an impact on the way that I live. That you can live your life however you want. You can divorce your creed from your character. That your, your relationship with God is not affected by your lack of righteousness in your life. That you're, as long as you have the right doctrine, your deeds really don't matter. And they kind of carried this belief because they had this belief that all that matters is your soul and your spirit and your knowledge. If you know the right things, and your soul is going to be safe for eternity. What you do in your body, not really as important. We say, well, no one would really believe that today. And yet I wonder if today, and I don't have to wonder, I know it's true, that there does at times seem to be a belief that, you know what, as long as I believe the right things, as long as I believe that God created the world, as long as I believe that there is a God, as long as I believe that Jesus came and, and died for my sins and died on the cross, that uh, the way that I live doesn't really have an impact on that, that my relationship with God is good no matter how I'm living. Let me give you an example of how, what, what might bring this out. I remember several years ago uh, during a political season that uh, there were some prominent uh, politicians who were running for office who were a part uh, of the Catholic Church. And there was a point where the leaders of the Catholic Church came out very publicly and asked that these candidates not take communion in the church because of some of the public stances and views that they had taken. And this made a major news story because some of the, these news, news people who were anything but religious were all up in arms saying, how can you possibly say someone can't do this in the church? How can you possibly connect what they're saying in the, you know, their public office with, what with their spiritual lives? These things are completely different. And that's exactly what First John is talking about. Say you can't divorce these two things. You can't say you walk in the light and then play around in the darkness. You, you can't say out there, we have fellowship with God and then play around having fellowship with the things that are not God. In fact, he says this, when you do that, he's very clear. He says, you're a liar. He says, you're lying. What you say is true about you is not really true about you. You're lying to those people around you. You're lying to the outside world. You're lying. You're saying you have fellowship with God, but you're playing around in the darkness. John says God is light. He's pure. He's righteous. And you can't be in the darkness and then say you have fellowship with God. In fact, John is emphatic about it. He said, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He's emphatic about it. And so if you live your life and you, maybe you're a Christian or you come to church and you say, I, I, 
I wish I had a relationship with God where I had the joy that Pastor Marvin talked about last week. Or why don't I have uh, the close relationship with God that I see others have? I, I think the, one of the first questions you'd have to ask are, are my, am I playing around in darkness someplace in my life and saying that I have fellowship with God and I'm walking in the light? Because John says, if you do that, you're lying. You can't do that. And I think that thinking, that divorce between our doctrine, that as long as I believe the right things, that now I can live how I want to live apart from how the scriptures and what God would want me to live. John says, you can't do it. It will have an impact on your relationship with God. We are to walk in the light and not darkness. There are three denials that John gives that indicate that people are walking in darkness. The first denial is that sin has an impact on your relationship with God. The second thing you might, these people were denying is if you deny that you have a sin nature, you are walking in darkness and not light. If you deny that you have a proclivity, a bent towards sin just because you are born as a part of the human race, then you are walking in darkness and not light. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That word sin is singular. It's not sins. It's sin. It's my sin nature. If I say I have no sin, if I say, look, I, I, I'm just... I'm basically good. I was born basically good. I don't have a sin nature. John says, in that case, you're not a liar to others. You're basically lying to yourself. If we say I have no sin, you deceive yourself. You're walking through life deceived. Because the reality is, like Charles Spurgeon said, uh, that to say you have no sin would be like saying go into the ocean and not finding water. You, you don't have to look very far in the human race to know that sin, uh, since Adam and Eve, like the scriptures talk, is a part of our makeup. It's just a part of, we have a sin nature, we have a proclivity, we have a bent towards it, that left to ourselves, we are going to grab for ourselves. You think about kids, right? You don't have to teach a kid to sin, right? You've heard that, right? I mean, they're going to come out that way. I mean, you think of a kid who's got a toy and then another kid comes up and grabs it from him. What does that first kid do? Does he go, oh, I didn't know you wanted to play with that toy. Please, take it as long as you like. Enjoy it. Because it's better to give than to receive. And I want you to find enjoyment out of this toy as long as you want. And when you're done, just please bring it back and I will play with it then. No kid says that. What does he do? He grabs the toy back, bonks the kid on the head, and walks away. And you didn't have to teach him that. You never had to go to your kid and say, look, if somebody steals something from you, grab it back and bonk him on the head. You never had to teach them that. Why? Because we have a nature that says, I'm going to grab for myself. I want, some, I want me to be at the center of the universe. I want me to call the shots. I want me to decide what's right and what's wrong. That's the sin nature. That's the nature that puts me on the throne. I, don't, I want me to be the ultimate authority in my life. 
John says, though, that he, there are people in his day, and I think there's people in ours, that are just saying, no, 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 there's no sin nature. It's just, it's just environment. It's just social constructs. It's just, it's just things that are kind of made up as a part of the environment. Basically, people are, are good. That's what people thought at the end of the 19th century, moving into the 20th century. When everything in, in the world, in many ways, seemed to be moving up and to the right. The economy was moving in the right direction. Government and countries seemed to be moving in a, a lack of war and peace. The Industrial Revolution was making things possible that hadn't been possible before. And there was this hope that if we can just kind of get the dials right, if we can get the, tweak the dial of education and the dial of economics and the dial of geopolitical relationship, that it's, we can get this right and we'll be fine. That everything will be great. And then the 20th century became the bloodiest century in human history. With two world wars, conflicts in nations all around the world, corrupt governments. Because if you ignore the fact that you've got a sin nature, you're deceiving yourself. You're operating on false information that left to ourselves, we will always grab for ourselves. John says, you don't live that way. And if you're denying that, you're deceiving yourself. But then he goes on. Once you recognize you have a sin nature, and then he goes on in verse 9, which is probably, uh, no, definitely the most important verse, I think, in First John, maybe one of the most important verses in all of the New Testament. John writes this in First John 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you're going to memorize a verse from 1 John, memorize that verse. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's talk about that first part for a second. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Faithful, we understand, right? It means God will keep his promises. It means God will always, every time, forgive our sins when we confess them. He is faithful to do that. Just is an interesting word, though. Faithful and just. Because I, when I think about justice and me and God, what I think about is justice for me would be condemnation. If I get what I deserve, if I get justice from God, it would be hell. It would be separation from God. It would be punishment. And yet John says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Why would it be just to forgive us our sins? Well, let me give you another picture to think about. Picture with me if it's God the Father and God the Son kind of sitting together, and because um, later on in the scripture, it says that we have an advocate with the Father, and then that's Jesus. An advocate is like a, a lawyer, a defense attorney, like for us. And, and so a picture of the Father looking down and saying, wow, Rick really messed up today, didn't he? I think that's the way God would say. I don't think God would call me Pastor Rick. I think it would just be Rick. Maybe he has another name for me. I don't know. It's, the Bible says we get a new name. But anyway, he says, oh, Rick really messed up today, didn't he? 
Hey, Jesus, as my advocate, responds, but let me tell you how he doesn't respond. The response isn't, yeah, but, you know, he went to church earlier this week. And, and you know what? He, you know, he, he, uh, he helped that guy earlier this week, so that's good. And, and, and he leads a church that has a JBQ team that went to nationals. <laughs> Or, 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 you know, you know, this, he's not as bad as the other guy. Have you seen what that other guy did? That's not what Jesus does, because that wouldn't help me at all. He's faithful and just. Here's what Jesus does. Yeah, but Calvary. But the cross. But the cross paid for his sin. And you can't charge twice for it that the sin was paid for on the cross, that I paid for it, Jesus says, and it's just then to forgive the sin. That justice based on the cross is forgiveness of sin. Amen. That then that becomes just. Otherwise, you're double charging for the same thing that's already been paid for, and that would be unjust. And so God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but then also to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just to justify us, but also to sanctify us, to make us more like Christ. I love the way Alistair, Pastor Alistair Begg puts it when he says this about sin. He says, justification is, I have been saved from the punishment of sin, Sanctification is, I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day, glorification will be, I will be saved from the presence of sin. And, and so there's this sanctification, cleansed from all unrighteousness. I am being saved from the power of sin. That Jesus not only forgives you, but he also is cleansing you and sanctifying you. And you say, well, I don't feel that. You know what, I, maybe I have forgiveness, but I'm still wrestling with these same sins. I don't feel the cleansing from all unrighteousness. Well, one other thing, Pastor Alistair Begg says this. He said, the giant door of forgiveness and cleansing from unrighteousness swings on the small hinge of confession. Because the verse starts out, if you confess. And many of us might say, well, I have confessed. Have you? Have I? Confession involves two words, honesty and humility. To humble ourselves before God and to be completely honest about it before God. And I think sometimes we mistake our, our general feeling of being sorry for actual confession. Or being sorry for getting caught, but we would do it again if we knew we could get away with it. But confession is honesty and humility. And I would, I would add to that, or I would uh, maybe uh, clarify that by saying specificity. I was talking to our team this week about this and about confession. And I said, you know, this really, truth really hit me home, hit home with me um, fairly recently when I was talking with my accountability partner, who I talked to uh, fairly regularly, almost weekly. And as a part of our conversations, uh, talk and pray with each other, but we often have times of confession. And I had been confessing something to him for a while, but it was a general confession. Have you ever done a general confession with somebody? 
You, you understand? You know, you say, uh, you, you, you know you have something to confess, but you just use a general term. Like, you know, I really struggled with greed this week. Or I really struggled with envy this week. Or I really, I really struggled with lust this week. Or, you know, you just use a general umbrella term and just think, well, now I've confessed. And I had done that uh, with uh, my friend for a while, but I wasn't getting what I felt like the second part. I wasn't getting cleansing from unrighteousness. I was still struggling with the same sin. And, and so one week I, I, I went to him and I said, look, I've been doing this. Agenda. I got to get specific with you. I got to give you names and dates and times. I just need to confess this. I need to confess specifically and exactly what I am talking about. And I did that, and he graciously received that, reminded me of God's forgiveness, prayed for me. And in that moment, something broke. There was a bondage, something broke that I have not struggled with that sin or temptation since that moment of taking the time to specifically and clearly and honestly and with humility confess that sin. And I think sometimes we mistake feeling sorry for genuine confession. And John says, if you confess, you receive forgiveness and cleansing from unrighteousness. And so in a moment, we're going to close our service out. And we will, I'll give you some space just to confess to God what you might need to confess. But we need to be uh, careful that we are not mistaking just feeling sorry for genuine confession. Third and finally, we are to walk in the light and not darkness. Three denials that John gives that indicate you might be walking in darkness and not light. The first denial is that sin has an impact on my relationship with God. The second denial is that I have a sin nature. The third denial, if you deny that you sin, you are walking in darkness and not in light. In other words, I may assent to the fact of, yeah, sure, sin affects your relationship with God. And yes, humans have a sin nature, but I have nothing to confess. I don't, you know, maybe even as I just mentioned, I'm going to give you some space to confess. You thought, well, it's good for everyone else, but I'm good. I have nothing to confess. Verse 10, uh, maybe applies to you. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we've come to know him. How do we know if we know Jesus? If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you say you have no sin, it's not that we lie to others. It's not that we're deceiving ourselves. John says in this case, if we say that, we're actually making God a liar. 
Because God says that we all have sin. That we all have things that we need to confess. We make God a liar in that case. And if we are to walk with God, we are to endeavor to walk lives of holiness and righteousness with God. John, the same John that wrote this letter, or first John, wrote the gospel of John. And in John chapter 8, uh, in that gospel, there's the story of the woman caught in adultery that is brought to Jesus. And in that story, at the end of that story, at John chapter 8, Jesus speaks to the woman. And it says this in John chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. And people who deny our sin nature and deny that they have sinned, stop right there. Neither do I condemn you. It'd be nice. They just stop. Oh, I'm not condemned. Isn't that wonderful? I just go live my life the way I want to live my life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. John chapter 8 goes on to say, Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you, and from now on, sin no more. Go and sin no more. Because you can't divorce the relationship with God from your righteousness in your life. You can't divorce your creed from your character. You can't divorce your doctrine from your deeds. The very next verse says this, Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is the life that God has called us to live. This is the life that God has called you to live. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness. And so we are called to walk in that light, and if we claim to have fellowship with him but play around in the darkness, the scriptures say you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You and I have a proclivity to sin in our lives. And yet, we have a way to deal with that sin. Not with our strength. Not with our works. Not in our own power. But through the cross of Jesus Christ. Through confession. And receiving forgiveness. And the cleansing of sin. And the power to live our lives, not by our own strength, but through the strength that God puts within us and so I'm going to ask our worship team to come back and we're going to close and give an opportunity to do just that to follow the word to do what John says in 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 confess our sins receive forgiveness invite God to cleanse us from unrighteousness because those of us who call ourselves Christian are called to live in that way confession ought to be a daily part of our lives just before we do that, though, I want to speak one last word that I would be remiss if I didn't speak about when I'm talking about light, and that's this. That you might be in this room, and I, I hope we have some people in this room, that you're not yet a follower of Christ. That you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. That you are not yet a Jesus follower. You're here. Maybe someone invited you. Maybe you think it's interesting. Maybe you think there's maybe something to it. But you haven't taken that step to follow Jesus. Let me just um, encourage you. 
that the God who is light will often bring um, places of light into your life to draw him, draw you to himself. When I was thinking about this passage, I could not help but think of the uh, quote by Leo Tolstoy, who in talking about his journey to God said this, it was by following the sun's rays that I reached the sun. That for Tolstoy, there were glimpses of light that he saw in the world around him that drew him to the God of this world. C.S. Lewis called them patches of God-light. Uh, sociologist and professor at Boston University, Peter Berger, called them signals of transcendence. Philip Yancey, in his book, in his memoir, he, he said, he, he entitled his memoir, Where the Light Fell referencing back to Tolstoy's quote. In other words, there are places in your life, you may not be a follower of Christian, that I believe that God is just shining a little bit of light to draw you to himself. Places of beauty in the world that you can't explain. Places of goodness in others. Or maybe just like Rosemary talked about just a minute ago. I feel a peace when I'm around these people. I don't get it. I don't know where it comes from, but I want it. I would say that's a patch of God light. There's a, there's a light that God has placed there to draw you to himself because he wants to be in relationship with you. Because he wants to know you. He wants to have the barrier of sin removed so you can be in direct relationship with God. Follow those, follow that light because God is light, and if you've got light shining in your life, I believe it's because God put it there, and he wants to draw you to himself. He's the God who loves you and created you and longs to be in relationship with you. And please, I, I just need to say this last thing, because we're talking about sin, and when I say sin, I think we all hearken back sometimes to things we think, here's a list of rules, and keep the rules, and if you don't keep the rules, God's not going to like you. That's not what I'm talking about. What sin does is it breaks relationship. Just like with a child and a parent, if a relationship is broken through rebellion, it needs to be repaired to right relationship. And what sin is is breaking of relationship with God the Father, and it needs to be repaired. And the way it's repaired is through confession and receiving and following Jesus. And that repairs that broken relationship. So if God's put those patches of light there, follow them to him. I pray that you would come to the place where you would put your faith and your trust in him, that you would pray and ask God to come into your heart to lead you and be the Lord of your life, that you might walk fully in the light. For those of us here who are followers of Jesus, would you stand, all of us, and I'm going to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus, the team's going to sing a song, come to the altar. You can come to the altar, literally, but I am inviting you, come to the altar of your heart and your life right where you're at. An altar is a place of sacrifice. It's a place where things come to die. It's a place where you kill things. That's what happens on an altar. 
so there's things that need to die in your life and my life because if we have no if we say we have no sin we make him out to be a liar so what's the barrier between you and God what needs to be confessed what needs to be made right with him Lord would you shine the light of your Holy Spirit into our hearts because walking with you and walking in the light is more important than anything else in our lives. And so, Lord, there are things that each of us struggle with. Each of us may need to confess. Each of us, maybe we've confessed generally, but now need to confess to you specifically. Would you lead us in these next few moments, God? I invite you, we invite you, search our hearts, and then give us the honesty and humility to bring our sins to you, trusting that you are faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse us from unrighteousness. In Jesus' name.